You are tuned to KZYX 90.7 FM Philo, KZYZ 91.5 FM Willits and Ukiah, K201HR 88.1 FM Fort Bragg, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. Looking for some great deals on gifts for the holidays? KZYX will be selling overstock CDs and books at the Anderson Valley Unity Club Holiday Bazaar this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the fairgrounds in Boonville. We'll have CDs in a variety of musical genre and books of all sorts, all at great prices. You can do your holiday shopping and support community radio on KZYX at the same time. Now, please stay tuned for Forthright Radio. Welcome to this Forthright Radio for December 2nd, 2015. I'm Joy LeClaire. We have a very full show for you today. With us for the full hour is social innovator, systems thinker, and community organizer, Martin Adams. We'll be speaking with him about his work and his book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World, published by North Atlantic Books. What if we lived in a world where everyone had enough, a world where everyone mattered, and where people lived in harmony with nature? What if the solution to our economic, social, and ecological problems was right underneath our feet? Land has been sought after throughout history. Even today, people struggle to get onto the property ladder. Most view real estate as an important way to build wealth, yet The institution of land ownership and our urge to profit from land causes economic booms and busts, social and cultural decline, and an environmental devastation. Land, a new paradigm for a thriving world, introduces a radically new economic model that promises a sustainable and abundant world for all. It is for those who dream of a better world for themselves and for future generations. These are the words of its author, Martin Adams, who is executive director of Progress.org and founder of the Middletown Community Land Trust in Lake County. As a young adult, Martin Adams groomed for a career in finance But he opted not to pursue a career on Wall Street and chose instead to dedicate his life to community enrichment. Through his nonprofit work, he saw firsthand the extent to which our economic system causes human and ecological strife. So he has devoted himself to the implementation of a new economic paradigm that just might allow humanity to thrive in harmony with nature. His book, Land, a new paradigm for a thriving world, is the fruit of his years of research into a part of this economic model. Welcome to Forthright Radio, Martin Adams. Thank you, Joy. Well, we're really glad you could join us today. Martin, before we get into the ideas in your book, Land, a new paradigm for a thriving world, let's talk a bit about how you and some friends have been realizing the ideas in the book. Um, in Middletown, Lake County, our neighbor to the east. Tell us a bit about the Middletown Land Community Land Trust. Uh, I think I said that wrong, but anyway, (laughs) and particularly the Life Center. How did you and your friends fare in the recent devastating fires, for starters? Yeah. 
So the Middletown Community Land Trust was set up in January of this year, 2015. And when the Valley Fire happened in Middletown, we, you know, we didn't know during the fire whether the the property that was uh, that is being owned by the Middletown Community Land Trust, whether that property would have survived and whether the Life Center would have survived. The Life Center is a is a health food store in the town of Middletown, and will eventually uh, move onto the property that's being own the land trust and during the fire we were just very unsure you know will the property have survived if it would have burned the outcome of of this experiment that we're doing here might have been quite uncertain but fortunately it survived both the life center in its current location as well as the middletown trust property they both survive the Valley Fire. I'm very happy to report. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that too. Um, okay, is there anything else you want to tell us about the Land Trust or the Life Center before we get into the ideas in your book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World? Yes. Um, wisdom has to be lived. It has to be demonstrated in order for it to really have an impact. And that's why we decided to set up the Middletown Community Land Trust, even though it's it's a demonstration of a very, very small scale, at least it's going to be an experiment that people can point to and say, oh, look, look what they've done. And this is how you do it. And, you know, this is how you put theory into practice. And that really was the intention behind uh, the Middletown Community Land Trust. And I will talk more about the theory uh, once we talk about the book. Uh, essentially, what we're trying to do in Middletown here with the Community Land Trust is put what I wrote about in the book Land into practice on a demonstrative level. Okay, well, let's get into that right now. And I can't help observing that we have just here in the United States celebrated our annual festival of Thanksgiving and the mythology around that and the interaction between the European immigrants um, who came without papers, et cetera, to this continent and the First Nations people uh, who didn't need papers <laughs> yeah. is being, you know, mythologized and praised and enjoyed and I think it really gets to the roots of some of the issues in your book because um, land, we, in our culture, we always think you have to own it, etc. But the, the very basis of your book is in contra- contradiction to that, even as a concept. So please take it from there, Martin Adams. Yeah, yeah well... Most of our listeners are probably familiar with the game of Monopoly, right? And in those who are, we know that game ends. If you have four players, there's always one winner at the end and three losers. That's just the nature of the game. And our current system of land ownership, by definition, results in very few winners and the majority being losers. So we have to acknowledge that the system of land ownership that we've created does not truly serve everyone. And my perspective is, if it doesn't serve everyone, 
it in the end doesn't really serve anyone, even those that come out ahead, because we are all interconnected in the web of life. And even those that come out ahead must feel on some subconscious level that the system that we're living in doesn't serve their brothers and sisters. And you mentioned correctly that the United States was really founded upon a system of land, uh, one might even call it the theft of land. Now, there are two sides to every story. The white settlers definitely stole the land, stole the land from the natives. Now, we also have to consider that the white settlers themselves were pushed out, pushed out of Europe because the nobility and the aristocracy in Europe in turn had stolen land from the peasants. So it's, it's a game that has gone, uh, that has occurred throughout human history. And we, I believe, are called to put an end to that game and create a new game, a game that truly serves everyone. Actually, you make the point in your book that we the, the, the European immigrants didn't actually steal it from the natives because the natives didn't believe that they owned it. Yes. And that's which is good... kind of a fine point, but yeah. um, useful, I think. Yes. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so, so, yes, Native American, the concept of land ownership is antithetical to the Native consciousness, to the Indigenous consciousness. And I believe eventually we are called to adopt something similar, a, a same approach towards the gifts of nature, toward land. How could we possibly own the earth? How can we even approach this, this concept of living on the earth and claiming the earth to be a part of, uh, to, claiming a part of the earth to belong to us? Um, the Native Americans, they often fought each other not about the ownership of land, but about the exclusive use of land. And that's important because it is necessary for human beings to be able to exclusively use, use land. And so we have to create some sort of system that allows human beings to exclusively use land and to retain the fruits of their labor without actually marginalizing other human beings as a result of their exclusive claim to land, if that makes sense. It does, because I've read your book. However, <laughs> when you first introduced the concept, I had all sorts of reactions. Why don't you expand further, as you do in your book, Land, a New Paradigm? Introducing the concept, I think, of rent and how it's very different in the way you use it in, from the way that most of us think of it. Yes. So when we hear the word rent, we often think of paying rent to a landlord. Now, uh, rent in today's use is actually different than, than what the word originally means. Rent is another word or it's synonymous for the value of land. You see, Undeveloped land has a value to human beings. So even if you buy a piece of property in Mendocino County that has no house on it, that hasn't been improved, that piece of land still has a value, of course, because it's being sold 
for a certain amount of money, right? But where does that value come from? Where does its rent come from? It comes from the goods and services that the community is creating on an ongoing basis. Land is only valuable because of all the goods and services that exist in its surrounding area. So a piece of land that's undeveloped in Mendocino County is valuable because you might be able to, to, to only drive 10 minutes from that piece of property to, to Mendocino Town, right? And, and access all the goods and services in that location. That's why that piece of property is now valuable. And so this value is created by the community. No, human, no single human being has made that property valuable. And this value, this it's called economic rent, is intrinsically unearned and unproductive value. In other words, if human beings, if individual human beings, or for that matter, Wall Street banks, if they take that value away from the community, it leaves the community uh, less well-off as a result. Yes, and as you explain in the book, that's actually what's happening. Instead of the value of the land primarily staying in its location, its financial institutions near and far, and these days farther than usual, that derive the benefit of the process of what we do owning land. So let's not hold our listeners in suspense any longer. What is it you're proposing as this new paradigm? Yes. So let me clarify. While I talk about a certain implementation method that is a new paradigm, the concept itself, the concept of collecting the value of land for the common good is actually an ancient paradigm. It has been promoted and proposed by economic thinkers throughout human history. Henry George is one of them. Uh, other people, even like Adam Smith, was another one. And and this, you know, wisdom, true wisdom, is is ancient, I believe. And so this is part of a lineage uh, that stretches as far back, really, as as human history. Now, what I propose specifically in my book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World, I actually propose that the value, that, that land is being owned by their community and that private land users, that they own exclusive land use rights for their individual properties. And as in, in, in exchange for these land use rights, Instead of paying a lot of money to Wall Street banks in the form of mortgages, right, and putting a lot of money down for properties, all that people need to do is buy the houses, buy the improvements to the property and own those improvements, but then rent the land from the local community. And that way, you prevent money from going out of the county to the Wall Street banks in New York and instead Keep that money in Mendocino County for the benefit of all people in Mendocino County. Okay, so I found it hard to imagine a process by which this could happen. Yes. Can you help us understand 
what it could look like. You're not saying it has to look like this, but it could look like this. Absolutely. There, there, are, there are many ways that um, economic thinkers have proposed to retain the value of land in the local community. Some people advocate for land value taxes. I personally don't take that approach. Don't have more taxes, and you know, it evokes all sort of all sorts of negative. Uh, has a lot of negative associations, even though that tax would actually stay in the community. Um, my proposal is that uh, you have uh, actually a community land bank that issues mortgages to a community land trust. And that community land trust buys up land all around the county, right? And then sells the property improvements back to people. So instead of paying 300 grand for a property that, you know, has a small house on it, which is, which might only be worth like a hundred grand, whereas the land itself might be worth 200 grand. So instead of having Instead of a private individual having to pay three hundred grand for a property, that individual might only need to pay a hundred grand for the house itself, and then pay a rent for the land into the locally owned community land trust. And that community land trust then retains the rent and shares that rent with all the people in Mendocino County. If I understand correctly, however. Um, with the current situation, after 30 years or whatever, a, a person owns the land and only pays taxes to the county, the state, etc. Am I understanding correctly that in, in the situation you're proposing, that what you're calling the rent for the land would be paid forever? The house, you would own the house, so that would get paid off. And any improvements, but the what you're calling the rent of the land would then be paid forever. No end to that. Yes, we we have to understand. We have to really what I'm talking about is a shift in consciousness that people stop treating land as as private property, like like air, land just like air and the oceans is actually part of the commons. It belongs to everyone. We all need land, just like we need air to breathe. So why should an individual human being be able to make millions of dollars from from land, buying low, selling high, without actually adding any value to the local economy? And because a lot of people are doing this, um, and because a lot of Wall Street banks are doing this on an ongoing basis, we are actually in the economic situation that we are in today. Those listeners might remember it in 2006, we had a huge real estate bubble. And that real estate bubble actually caused the 2008 economic meltdown. Our speculation in land is the primary cause of poverty, wealth inequality, involuntary unemployment, and even ecological destruction. So it's time for us to look, to take an honest, heartfelt look at our current economic situation and see and ask ourselves if we can do something to change it. Yes, I want to return to that uh, in just a moment because one of the things I found quite amazing in your book is that these boom and bust cycles are actually predictable and that there were 
a few lone voices out there who were predicting these bubbles more than 10 years before they happened. But I don't want us to go past your idea that it's a human right to occupy land and how that is not codified anywhere, even no matter how self-evident it is. And to put it into context, this um, SF gate had a headline this very morning, the city of Berkeley just okayed laws dealing with homelessness. The law bans people from sleeping in planter boxes, leaving personal belongings in trees, or taking up more than two square foot space on the sidewalk. Yes. In fact, the homeless are landless. As I write in my book, their, their poverty is less a reflection of their inability to sufficiently provide for themselves in a predatory economic system. And it's much more a reflection of our economic system. Everyone who's homeless is, in truth, landless. And we are really uh, bidding land to the highest, we're selling land to the highest bidder. So it's like having to pay for the air that we breathe. Imagine that. There will always be winners and losers. And that's exactly the system we have today with land. Until land becomes a human right that applies equally to everyone, we will always have a system with winners and losers, guaranteed. And that essentially what, uh, is what we have to, to change at the root. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Martin Adams, and we're talking about the ideas in his book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World, published by North Atlantic Books. Okay, now let's get back to the boom and bust cycle and tell us a little bit about the history of that and the theoreticians who noted it and used it as a basis of prediction. Yes, the United States has had 12 major real estate boom and bust cycles so far. Um, These cycles were noted by economists Fred Harrison uh, from the United United Kingdom, as well as uh, Dr. Fred Folvery. He's a local uh, Californian uh, economist. And both economists did extensive research in this arena. Uh, Real estate goes through approximately 18-year boom and bust cycles. In 2008, we saw a major bust. Um, and generally speaking, it takes about 18 years for, you know, for the next bust to occur. Uh, what happens is because of the nature of land ownership, property owners are able to withhold land from public use just because they're not forced to sell land. And so they're able to, to hold to withhold the land and just sit on it and wait until it matches their needs or expectations. And at some point in the cycle, um, landowners start to withhold too much land because basically they want more money for, for their properties. And 
at some point, land becomes unaffordable, like we saw in 2006. Land just became completely unaffordable for the local economy to bear. And so people then started uh, spending less money on actually produced goods and services because they had to make mortgage payments and, 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 and you know, save up money to, to, to afford, even, even to be able to afford land. And with less money being spent on actually produced goods and services, essentially the economy then starts to contract. The price of land starts to collapse simply because it has to. It has become unaffordable. And then you get a uh, devil spiral. Uh, land collapses, the price of land collapses, the economy shrinks, people get laid off, nobody spends, and you have a major economic bust. And in fact, Dr. Fred Foldvery and Fred Harrison, they both predicted in 1997, so 11 years before 2008, they predicted in 1997 that in the year 2008, we're going to have a major economic crash. And that is extraordinary for two economists to predict a crash so far in advance. And they were only able to do so because of their intimate knowledge of the real estate boom and bust cycle and how that affects the economy. And you quote extensively from uh, their work, and our listeners can also read some of their articles uh, at the site where you are the executive director, which is progress.org. And it's a very interesting uh, site. You're tuned to KZYX and KZYZ. The show is Forthright Radio. I'm Joy LaClaire. And our guest today on Forthright Radio is Martin Adams. We're talking about the ideas in his book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World. Now, this boom and bust cycle... You you just started talking about goods and services um, not being met, and you have a very interesting take on why, particularly high tech stuff, has production has left the United States for places like China, for example, and it's counterintuitive in some ways, and it's definitely not the usual explanation of lower wages there. Would you please talk about that? Yeah. Um, many people think that you know our manufacturing base has actually migrated to China because of lower wages there. But that's not really the case, generally speaking. What's in place in China is a, an interconnected network uh, that serves... Um, production and manufacturing in a better way. Uh, let me give you an example. I mentioned this in my book. Um, the company Apple um, moved its production to China, not because of lower wages, but because factories in Asia, according to one CEO, uh, according to one executive, factories in Asia can scale up and down faster, and then Asian supply chains have surpa- surpassed what's in the U.S. He said, you know, according to this one executive, he said the entire supply chain is in China now. If you need a thousand rubber gaskets, that's the factory next door. You need you need a million screws, that factory is a block away. 
you need that screw made a little different, it would take three hours. So even if Apple had negotiated lower wages with its employees, production would still have been expensive because Apple's suppliers no, no longer offered Apple the same speed and convenience of operating near Apple's assembly lines in, in the United States. Now, why did this happen? Why did the manufacturing base move to China? My theory on this is that, that the astronomical cost of land, which is a direct byproduct of our monopolization of land, uh, should be counted as one of the most significant contributors to manufacturing actually leaving the United States. Land should not be expensive, just like food. We don't want food to be expensive. In the same way, land is another basic human need. Why should land be expensive? It has a lot of negative effects if land becomes more expensive. And California, unfortunately, Californian land is, is extremely expensive, and, and that does not serve the people of California. Mm -hmm. I think it would be helpful if we talk about some of the examples that you have in the book of where different locations have adopted some aspects of what you're proposing. For example, talk about the situation in Hong Kong, not now particularly, but historically. Yeah, people often think, well, you ha kind of have to own land, right, in order to feel secure on, on, on land. That's not the case. You don't have to own land personally. You, you just have to be able to use land exclusively and therefore be guaranteed the fruits of your efforts. Uh, Hong Kong is an interesting case study because uh, back when Hong Kong was still a British colony, uh, land in Hong Kong was actually owned by the British crown. And people were leasing land from the crown. And I believe, I haven't looked into this, but I believe today land is still being owned by the special administrative region in Hong Kong. But the point is, you know, you don't have to own land in order to uh, be guaranteed access to what you do with land. And uh, you can perfectly well lease land from your local community and compensate your local community uh, for your exclusive use of land. Now, Hong Kong is, is I mentioned, it's, it's, a, it's an imperfect example because there was a lot of poverty and mass immigration from China coming into Hong Kong. So you had, you know, you had a lot of wealth inequality, plus, you know, the, the, the leasing rates for the land were not updated every year. And so, you know, a lot of property owners were able to make a lot of money uh, instead of paying their local community. However, because Hong Kong did collect a lot of the value of land, Hong Kong was able to provide free public housing as well as uh, free public education for, for anyone until the age of 15. And it had a very low tax rate of only 15%, I think, because it didn't need to raise, raise more money. It, it had, a, had an abundance of money because of all the money that it made from land. Mm -hmm. And I was also surprised by Taiwan as an example and what Chiang Kai-shek put into effect. Um, talk about that. 
Yeah, this is a very interesting story. Um, back in uh, when when during the Chinese Civil War, apparently uh, Mao Zedong and Chiang Kai Shek they were battling each other, and Mao Zedong, uh, of course, won, um, and Chiang Kai Shek retreated to the island of Taiwan. And when he in Taiwan, the entire island was owned by about twenty families. And there was a lot of poverty and wealth inequality on that island. And those 20 families uh, really exploited the entire island. Now, what happened is he came in and he started taxing those families for their use of land. And eventually they found it too expensive to own land for themselves. And they just sold it to local farmers. And ever since then, the economy of Taiwan experienced an unprecedented boom uh, because of the equal and the, and, the, and the more just ownership of land. In fact, how the value of land is shared is directly correlated to the prosperity of an economy. So we see this in Hong Kong. We see this in Taiwan. We also see this in Singapore because Singapore does something similar. So whenever the value of land is shared, you experience a greater prosperity for the entire community. Hmm. And in our own country, you offer the example of Alaska for certain aspects of this. Talk about that. Alaska is such a wonderful example because it, people may not, not have heard of it, and yet it's, it's, it's a clear example that people can, can look at and, and can say, hey, let's do that as well. The oil that's in Alaska the value of that oil is actually being shared with every Alaskan. People might know that Alaskans get a yearly dividend from the oil that's in Alaska, and it's currently about $1,000 per person uh, per year. And if we share these gifts of nature, I don't call them natural resources because really if you think about it, oil, land, coal, air, water, those are not resources for us to exploit. They're really gifts from nature that truly belong to everyone. And if we share these gifts of nature with each other, we can create a very prosperous economy that truly benefit all human beings. And Alaska is starting to do that with its oil. Norway is doing that too. In fact, um, Norway has the largest pension fund in the world because it collects the value of Norwegian oil for all the people of Norway. Mm -hmm. And you also offer the historic example in California of the inf irrigation infrastructure. Remind our listeners about that. So we in California had a history where in the 1850s, Land was owned by a few cattle ranchers and a lot of family farms went out of business because a lot of large landowners not only land, also owned the water rights and consequently put a lot of small family farms out of business. And those family farms became landless and struggled with poverty. And that was because the system of land ownership in California was highly unequal. 
And what happened is that eventually the state of California had enough and they instituted a law by which they started taxing the value of land. And they used that revenue to create uh, irrigation districts. And those irrigation districts today uh, made the San Joaquin farm, farmland valley. Um, and you know, today there are a lot of problems, again, because we have shifted our, our land policies. But back in the 1870s, that shift created a lot of prosperity in California. And, and California became essentially the breadbasket of the world, thanks to these land use policies. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to get back to this concept of rent on the land. The way it comes across, it's easy to confuse this uh, contribution back to the community as a tax, but you're adamant that that is not what this is about. Please talk about the differences between them, and then I would appreciate it if you would go over um, what you write about that. Imagine if you didn't have to pay taxes and the advantages of that. I mean, some of them are very obvious. I'm sure all our listeners Mm. are like perking up about this. (laughs) Uh, But actually, you go um, quite a bit deeper than the most obvious things. Yeah. So, you know, people don't really enjoy paying taxes for obvious reasons because when we hear the word tax, you know, immediately we think that we're being something is being taken from us that we've worked really, really hard for. And that usually is the case. Uh, we're being taxed on our income, our sales, our capital gains, and so forth. And that's the status quo. Now, the value of nature is not something that we've actually worked for, unless, of course, we worked really hard to buy a piece of property and paid a Wall Street bank you know, for the, for the mortgage. But if you just take a step away from that and just realize for a moment that the value of land, not the value of what we do with it, but the, just the pure value of land, that that value is, has not been created by other human beings, like by individual human beings, but by the whole community, you can actually realize that you can collect that value at no detriment to human beings. Uh, so if, if instead of buying land from other human beings, if instead of doing that, you simply rent land from your local community and the community collects that value, there's actually a much lesser need to tax people for you know their incomes and, and their hard work and their sales and so forth. In fact, uh, uh, Henry George, uh, he, he's an economist that lived in the 1800s, uh, he created um, what other economists call the Henry George theorem. It basically says when, when local communities invest in public infrastructure, right? they spend money that belongs to the community to create some sort of Uh, say, highway, for example, or sewer lines or electric lines and so forth, the Henry George theorem says that by the amount that you invest in the local community, say, through the infrastructure product, by that same amount, the value of land tends to rise, right? So instead of 
having that amount go to private property owners and Wall Street, if you collect that amount for the community, you essentially have infrastructure that pays for itself. Now, I might have lost some here, so this is, this is a little complicated. My point is that a lot of what we uh, in taxes for infrastructure and for other public services, these payments don't have to come from our hard-earned money. They essentially can just come from the commons that we use and essentially that we take from the community. If we pay for the commons... If we pay for our exclusive use of the commons, we can compensate our community for all the public services it provides. And like I said, in Hong Kong, Hong Kong has a very low tax rate, in part because it, you know, it collects some of the value of land. And if we do that, if we really collect the value of land for the local community, we can minimize uh, taxes significantly, if not eliminate them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to the idea of taxes uh, because you have some provocative things to say about even progressive taxation. But um, one of the things that struck me in in the book was that this could be done in a like a monthly bill similar to a utility bill, right? Yeah. In fact, there's no reason for, for us to have a very complicated economic system. I mean, how many hours does each person spend each year on their tax forms? I mean, they're incredibly complicated. Um, I think I read some statistics that I've put into my book that uh, if you, let me hear, let me look it up. If you, um, one sec, if you spend, if you take all the uh, time that people spend on filing their taxes, um, if instead you outsource that and created jobs with that, you can create jobs for, I think, over uh, 3 million workers, full-time, year-round employment. I mean, that's how much time we spend on filing our taxes. It's incredible. And, and it's highly inefficient. Um, it can be very simple, actually. All we need to do really is is rent land from the local community. And, and that can be done through some monthly or quarterly debit system where, you know, every, because, you know, public uh, land ownership uh, or land use records are, they're public. And you can just create some sort of system whereby each land uh, uh, pays their community on a monthly or quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's try to visualize how this would look um, in Mendocino County, for example. Um, some Anderson Valley, to be very specific, uh, there are quite a few uh, vineyards. There's even some olive trees coming in. Apple production used to be the big deal; it's much less so now. So this is highly productive land and. It's somewhat expensive because of that. How would the the people who currently own and operate, uh, let's just use vineyards as, as, an, as an example for simplicity, how would what they pay for their acre versus, let's say, a homeowner uh, pay for her acre? Well, we have to remember that you know in our current economic system, 
landowners, generally speaking, have already paid a lot of money for the land. But they've paid that money to other property owners from whom they bought that land, as well as to Wall Street banks, you know, who finance property ownership. So to even start talking about, you know, paying for their land will usually elicit a lot of protests because they'll say, well, why should I pay again for my land to the local community? Because I already work really, really hard to just keep up with the mortgage payments. So we have to remember that we're not talking about what's currently happening today. This system that I'm proposing actually talks about switching out the banks altogether. It talks about people not even having to pay a lot of money to other human beings for land, but instead to pay their local communities right from the get-go. Now, that, of course, creates a different paradigm that's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around. Um, it creates a certain abundance that's very different from the scarcity that we have created today. So, you know, that's my disclaimer, I think, that I just need to mention before I talk about how that could look like. Now, imagine if you're a vineyard in Mendocino County, but imagine you didn't, you know, take out a huge mortgage to some Wall Street bank. And imagine you, you didn't pay millions of dollars to some property owner to, to buy that vineyard, but instead you bought the land, uh, sorry, you bought the, the improvements to that property, you know, the, the vineyard itself and, and the, the structures. If you bought that, you know, those improvements from some other human being, but then you pay a rent on the land, uh, you pay that rent to the local Mendocino County community, that looks very, very different than what we have today. That rent is not for what you do with the land. So even if you, you know, bring in more more vines and you, you increase production by 20% or 30%, that increase in production will actually not increase your rent because the rent of land has nothing to do with what you do to the land. It has only to do with what the land itself provides. So in Mendocino County, you know, it's a, there's a good climate in some areas. There's a lot of sunshine, a lot of access to water. And so those factors benefit uh, winemakers. And, and, you know, the sunshine is freely provided to, to all, um, but the land is not. And so what we have to do is we have to compensate uh, those people in Mendocino who have not had access to land, uh, we have to compensate them for our exclusive use of land. Mm -hmm. Well, it reminds me of what Mark Twain said about water, well, especially these days. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, Martin Adams, we're, we're running out of time. Um, I want, well, very quickly, if you can, talk about the taxation end of things and why even progressive taxation is not fair, is fundamentally unfair. Yeah, yeah progressive taxation is, is fair because those who make uh, more of an income get taxed at higher rates than those who make less of an income. However, if you think about it, those who make a lot of money generally buy a lot of property. And so what they do is even though they get taxed at higher rates, they just put their money into land and into property 
and then buy low and sell high and are able to actually make more money from property ownership than they end up paying in taxes. Now, there has been a study done where you know, urban real estate owners actually make more money from land than they uh, than what they pay in taxes, even on a progressive taxation system. And that's, of course, not fair. What we have to do is have property owners who own land pay their community for the land that they use. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's spend the remaining time um, talking about what a transition from the current land ownership model to a land stewardship model would involve. Yes, so there are several approaches. Uh, some of my fellow thinkers, they uh, advocate for a land value tax. Like I said, I'm not in favor of land value taxes personally, but you know they do have the purpose of collecting what I call this economic rent, this, this value of land. That's one approach. Uh, the other approach that I tend to advocate is a voluntary approach whereby you, know, you have a community land trust and you have a community land bank that acquires land uh, on behalf of the local community and then collects that rental value of land and shares that value with the local community. And that way, property owners and tenants and, and those that don't own property, they will all come to see the benefits of what it means for land to be owned in common. And I'm talking about land, not buildings, just land itself. I can imagine that one of the things that our listeners are thinking about is, well, two things. The, it seems that it would require a certain kind of bureaucracy just to administer this, uh, to assess, to take in the money, to uh, redistribute, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the potential for corruption. How do you respond to those problems? Well, that's actually not really uh, the case because, you know, uh, property use uh, records are already public. Uh, people can look up who owns what kind of property. And all you need to do is, is you need to assess the value of land, the rental value of land, uh, without improvements. And that assessment can already be done today with computers easily. And it can be uh, put into an automated computer and it'll spit it, spit it out. Now, if for some reason people have an issue with, with the rental value of land, they, they could simply mention uh, or, or take their case before a land value assessment board, just like it's being done today with property tax assessment boards. So there are ways to easily create a system that um, you know, makes sure that everyone uh, is treated fairly. And um, one of the big reasons is that property records are public knowledge. So there is actually very little potential for corruption. Land does not, um, uh, does not flee. Like you, you cannot um, hide uh, uh, land use. Um, and so whereas with income taxes, you, you can modify, you can, uh, you can extort people with income taxes and so forth, but uh, land use and land ownership is, is a public, public record. I realize that we've had a terrible thing we haven't talked about yet, and that is the, your concept of a universal basic income. Yes. Very briefly, because we don't have much time left, please talk about that and its role in this whole thing. 
Yes. Right now, what we have to realize is that just to exist, we're paying other human beings just to exist. I'm not even talking about eating or food. I'm just talking about living, being alive on this planet. And we're, we're, if you're not a property owner that has paid off your property entirely, which are very few people, we're, we're usually paying other property owners in Wall Street banks just to be alive, just to exist on this planet. And the way we can compensate ourselves and make sure that we don't have to pay other human beings just to exist is by receiving a universal basic income from the rent of land uh, so that we don't have to pay other human beings. Well, that was remarkably succinct <laughs> for a very uh, big concept. Uh, Martin Adams, uh, what would you like to share with our listeners that we haven't yet covered? I think I want to re reinforce or share about the concept of our interconnectedness. We're all in this together. Um, as long as we live in an economic system where that doesn't take care of everyone, I believe we're still not living in a system that really takes care of ourselves. And I think as long as we remember that we're all in this together, then our actions and our perceptions will guide us to create a world where everyone has a place and a world where everyone uh, belongs. Well, thank you very much. Um, our guest today on Forthright Radio has been Martin Adams, and we've been discussing his work as executive director of progress.org and his book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World, published by North Atlantic Books. Thank you, Martin Adams, for joining us today on Forthright Radio. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Forthright Radio is a Beyond the Deep End production broadcast each first, third, and fifth this time, Wednesday of the month, from the Philo Studios of KZYXNZ, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Engineer Rich Culbertson. I'm Joy LaClaire. And thanks to listener Richard Biddle for suggesting this interview with Martin Adams. You can contact us by emailing forthrightradio at gmail.com. Next Wednesday, December 9th, Takes on the World's Jeff Blankford will be talking turkey with investigative journalist Garrett Porter about the reasons behind Turkey's shooting down of a Russian fighter over Syrian airspace and its implication for that unending conflict. That's next Wednesday on Takes on the World with Jeff Blankford. Then a fortnight from today, Forthright Radio returns with our guest, Suzanne Kelly. We'll be discussing the ideas in her book, Greening Death, Reclaiming Burial Practices and Restoring Our Tie to the Earth. We hope us, that you can join us for that. Then on December 30th, we'll be having a fifth Wednesday end of the year Vox Populi show, focusing on a review of the events and news of 2015. Be thinking of what you want to make sure we remember and phone in on December 30th. The Community Advisory Board of KZYX will hold its annual public meeting on Friday, December 4th in the Career Center of Anderson Valley High School at 6 p.m. The community is invited to observe the business meeting. 
Then during the public comment section of the CAB, X encourages suggestions on how it can best perform its function as a communication link between listeners and the KZYX Board of Directors. Now, please stay tuned after Pulse of the Planet for beautiful music with Patrick Gomes on Interlude. Till next time, this is Joy LaClaire signing off for now.